Podcast. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westcott demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother, Wesley. Today we're discussing a movie from 2023, a Netflix original, Jordan Peele's They Cloned Tyrone. Isn't that a little unfair to Joel Taylor, born 1987? Oh, goodness gracious. Alabama. I mean... It's impossible, I think, for him not to have seen Jordan Peele. I mean, look, I do believe that Jordan Peele's success with, I guess what is being called, this one is is kind of embracing the black exploitation moniker. But I think that with a primarily black cast and this sort of sci-fi light horror subject matter, I think Jordan Peele's certainly an influence. Oh, for sure. I mean, he's an influence on a generation of genre filmmakers. Get Out was scary. It was. And why was it scary? Aside from the fact that the characters in that case, uh, being black, were being controlled by the white characters. There was ominous choral music and sci-fi elements and the sci-fi apparatus being entirely controlled by the white people. Well, one, Catherine Keener's terrifying when she wants to be. <laughs> and two, Daniel Kaluuya's face. I mean, he just had all the fear in his face. Wasn't he nominated for that role? Uh, well, he won for Judas and the Black Messiah a little bit later. Kind of an impeccable American accent. And boy, in this case, it took me 10, 15 minutes to figure out who John Boyega was. I was like, I know that dude. I definitely know that dude. But his accent was so clean and he was so perfect in this role with his facial hair and his funny hair that he was miles away from how I'm accustomed to seeing John Boyega in movies. How are you accustomed to seeing him? As Finn, the intrepid Han Solo component in the Star Wars movies. It's so funny. You're not even a huge Star Wars fan, and yet you're a bigger Star Wars fan than I am. You you didn't make the association. It was hard for me not to once I finally got it. But this is actually his second sci-fi spectacle extravaganza. Prior to Star Wars, probably contributed to his uh, being cast in Star Wars. Did you see Attack of the Block? It's an alien, bruv. Believe it. Yeah. <laughs> They're all cockney and stuff. Yes. But man, he just kind of inhabited this role. And I was really happy to see that because he plays menacing. Yeah. Tyrone. Tyrone, right? No, no. Ty- Tyrone doesn't in- introduce until the end. I'm like, when's Tyrone going to show up? <laughs> yeah. Didn't or know. Or is Tyrone just a generic, you know, black see, person? You said it, not me. But it is a stereotypical thing. And so when, when we got all the way to the end, I started to think, are they just referring to Tyrones as black people? Like, is it just they cloned only black people? And then thankfully, Tyrone showed up. That's right. In a new embodiment of John Boyega. So was it horror or was it sci-fi? I'd say it's probably a sci-fi comedy. And let me tell you, Kelly Ray squirmed almost the entire time. With stress and anxiety? We, uh, so we watched this and then they mentioned a couple of movies that Kelly Ray has on her list to see. One of them being Sophie's Choice. So after this movie, we watched Sophie's Choice and Kelly Ray was more uncomfortable during They Cloned Tyrone than she was during Sophie's Choice. That's saying something. Yeah. 
Mostly because they would not stop saying the N-word. Well, any worse than like Jamie Foxx in Django Unchained? Which Kelly Ray does not like. I guess I was. it was to be expected, and so it didn't feel too uncomfortable. It was fine to me, but I was aware of it. I do not believe that Netflix was going for a wide audience, or the filmmakers were going for a wide audience. This was this was gritty and, and N-wordy and, and hard, and, and it wasn't, it was sort of alienating because before, get it, no, there's that, there weren't aliens. It was sci-fi, but it wasn't, there were no aliens. But no, when they- This didn't go into up territory. Up? Up. Look up. Look, don't look up. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, technically there were aliens in Up. No, that was Wally. There were no aliens in Up. (laughs) Wait, not don't look up. That's the Leonardo DiCaprio movie. Wait, what are we talking about then? We're talking about Jordan Peele's alien movie. Oh, nope. That's what I'm looking for. (laughs) (laughs) First time nope has ever been confused with Disney Pixar's Up. (laughs) (laughs) Or Don't Look Up, the Leonardo DiCaprio film. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, the title is a little bit silly, but Mm -hmm. it went so hard and so serious. And Fontaine's death scene before we knew what was really happening with him was so real and so Mm. well done. It was a great death scene and very visceral. And I don't know, it didn't smack of comedy to me at all, except, of course, for Jamie Foxx as Slick Charles. And I got to say, we've watched a lot of Jamie Foxx movies. I know that he is an Academy Award winning actor. We know he can act. Uh, Collateral is a favorite of mine. I felt he was wildly out of place in this movie. Now, was he wildly out of place in a 70s exploitation film as a pimp? Probably not. But it rang false and hollow the entire time. And I get it. This is Jamie Foxx's thing. He did a lot of riffing. He did a lot of improving, and it's all great. But the mannerisms, the voice, it just seems straight out of In Living Color to me. And it felt like a cartoon and felt wrong. Yeah, he's an Academy Award winning actor for, it was Ray, right? Yeah, because he's such a gifted mimic. But he also played Shaniqua. Do you not remember Shaniqua? Of course I do. In Living Color, I don't know has any place in this. This was more of a Dolomite is my name character and mm. uh, where he's surrounded by people. He's not He's not a standalone character in his mannerisms and his sort of 70s riffiness, but this one, he felt like a 70s character thrown into a modern movie. So you felt, okay, like he was maybe even like throwback, like a P.T. Anderson character who like can't find his identity and is like embracing different eras. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good way to put it. So Fontaine's car, I found out later, his sweet Pontiac or whatever that was, is 1976. And so I was trying, did you figure out what year it was? It was a little bit like It Follows, where you're trying to figure out what's happening. And were you surprised when a cell phone popped up? Yes, definitely surprised. See, albeit a flip phone. And then Slick Charles is talking about the blockchain. Well, Slick Charles is talking about it with Yo-Yo. And Yo-Yo is all about the blockchain, my girl. It's all the times and timeless. And it's also placeless, settingless. The license plates say a simple place. Oh, oh, a swell place. A swell place. The license plates say a swell place. The Glen is a full-on Truman Show esque amalgamation of just swell places yep i think they really threw out their page 15 inciting incident idea because i knew that at some point tyrone was going to be cloned i was assuming they, this title wasn't metaphoric but not a lot of cloning going on for probably the first what 40 minutes 
Yeah, they play it like a straight drama, really, up through Fontaine's murder. It's like Cabin in the Woods, and all of a sudden there's a creepy elevator, and uh, I don't know what they're spending their money on in the Glen, you know, other than keeping people cloned, but they're also keeping this uh, the neon and, and atmospheric lighting industry in business. <laughs> there might as well have been, like, fog coming out of it, you know, the elevator. Sure. It was all neon and lit up. <laughs> Yeah, the the altar elevator in the church, that was epic. Yeah. The altar literally raises up. All the way, <laughs> like seven feet in the air. All blue and glowing and, and smoking. And people are like, oh, just because it's a prominent sci-fi slash horror filmmaker, Jordan Peele, you'd be like, oh, that's where the similarities end, except for, without trying to spoil too much, the underground component of us and this reeked of that. And let's remember, I was not a fan of Us at all. And you take some some dramatic license and you suspend some disbelief in order to let these movies happen, wash over you. But I was prepared to hate this movie for that reason and thus let it be kind of a washer. Did this transcend your distaste and hate for Us? What are we, jumping ahead? Well, I can talk about what I loved about They Cloned Tyrone. What did you love about They Cloned Tyrone? Well, talk, speaking of elevators, my favorite scene in the entire movie, hands down, is when Fontaine leads his group back into the house. They thought it was like a drug house, but it wasn't. He bursts in and it's all set dressed like a family lives there. There's a kid's room with like a dartboard and then he busts open the, <laughs> the closet and then he has like this this tiny moment. He's like... The Big Moss character, played by Eric Robinson Jr., steals the scene when he's like, what up, big dog? And Fontaine's like, there was an elevator with a thing in the basement. And then Big Moss just takes a moment and collects himself. He's like, um, dude, when I get all mixed up, I drink some water and I'd be good. And he's so sincere and sweet and caring for his friend who's having a moment of vulnerability <laughs> and Fontaine cannot take it. He cannot take it. And Big Moss is like breaking into this this place. He's huge and menacing. And he's like, we're like 80% water. <laughs> he's all trying to bring science into it. Oh, it's the best, most endearing character Played brilliantly by Eric B. Robinson Jr. I could go on about the things I loved. I mean, that one performance I felt like was was really worth highlighting. I loved the sleuthing and the mystery element of it. Yo-Yo was interesting, and I think her paradoxes worked, right? She has this innocent bedroom, and she loves Nancy Drew, and she's got stuffies on her bed. And yet she's, you know, a hooker. What's, what is, and Jamie Foxx, like, so not graciously puts her in her place. He's like, you a hoe. And she gets all pissed. But she's like all sleuthing it out. She's got such a great attitude about it the entire time. Like I found Yo-Yo to be a really delightfully fun, paradoxical character. Yeah, she was pretty real. And the only time that Kelly Ray really, really laughed was when the scientists were all prodding her and stuff. And then she got up and took off her wig. And Kelly Ray thought it was the funniest thing that the scientists had no idea that it was not her real hair. Because when, <laughs> when the wig comes off, you know she's serious, right? Well, she's got the practical braids, yeah, like for fighting time. So are you done with the stuff that you loved? Because I need to get to the stuff that I didn't understand. Well, maybe this is segueing perfectly to things that you didn't understand, because it seemed to me, didn't they reset and kind of live the same day, like Groundhog Day style every day? 
when they messed with Fontaine's mom, I was like, all right, it's on. Like, that's messed up. They couldn't even have a lady in reception in the science lab or whatever through that weird intercom thing from the 70s. It was like a Ferris Bueller level taped uh, audio, and they only had so many phrases. Like, how many times can she still be full from the church thing? <laughs> from the fish fry? Right? They just needed someone with an intercom on a baby monitor or something who's feeding those lines live if, it's gonna, if you're going to perpetuate the, uh, the myth that the mom is in there. I'm not sure, but I mean, he, he went through the rigmarole and did the thing with his mom where it's like he forgot. Like when he woke up, he remembered everything about, you know, including his death. And he's like, I don't understand why I'm alive. Did you see me? Did you see me get shot? But then another clone of Fontaine was oblivious to the fact that his mom said the same thing. And I thought that was a little bit weird. So I think there are like various levels of consciousness or memory. But he got shot twice. No, he got shot once and woke up and went on as if nothing had happened. So when Slick Charles saw his own clone and went off and started shooting him, I was like, wait, that's like your avatar. That's like a bonus life. You want to keep that around. Are they connected? Well, no, but if he dies, his consciousness wakes up in that clone. Oh, yeah. Bonus. You could do all kinds of crazy stuff with you can go skydiving and you could eat durian fruit if and, and if you die or whatever then you just have a clone. Here's what I, but this is not this is not things that I didn't like about this movie. These are things that I didn't understand. And what I primarily didn't understand, this is like the fourth time I've said primarily. I don't know why. What I didn't understand is the black guy with the afros at goddamn chicken. And that worked on me, by the way, because I really want some goddamn chicken. But <laughs> what, why were the black guys, why were the white guys, were they white guys that, that looked like black guys? There were several of them. There were at least three of them. There was a liquor store whitish guy with the afro. Right. There was the guy downstairs that, that Slick Charles shot. Right. The one who's dancing to Michael Jackson and cleaning the science stuff. Yeah. And they were like making fun of how white looking he is. And I, I said, I don't want to be racist, but is that a black guy? I don't know. And Kelly Ray looks at me and says, I mean, like Adam Dirtz is a black guy. What? <laughs> as Just much as Adam Dirtz is a black guy. Oh, man, that was the best thing. Not a black guy at all. Right. And so we had to look it up because she's but like, he's wait, wait, totally wait. a little bit black because he has dreads. I want to talk about this because <laughs> Adam Duritz is Jewish, at least in part. Are Jewish people considered people of color? I mean, we also watch Sophie's Choice and the Aryans definitely consider Jews people of color. So I, I was trying to figure out if they were like infiltrators. Was there a reason behind the white looking dudes that they kept calling out for having white features or whatever in Afros as black dudes? Can't explain it, but <laughs> I think it had something to do with assimilation experiments. I don't think that there was much left to chance because it was very purposeful. There were a lot of allusions to other movies. A Clockwork Orange was referenced several times, and there was definitely elements of that. Some black exploitation films, there were slogans and phrases on the wall that called back to a drug that was in a black exploitation film. And the way that Tyrone eventually gets up, gets dressed, and walks out of his house the way he does, that's straight out of Friday. So it's very aware. And I don't think anything was left to chance, which makes me think that these seemingly chance occurrences were deliberate and we just didn't get it. Aware in what sense? Aware in the sense that the filmmakers are winking at us 
and like you said, leaving these Easter eggs to find and to enjoy? Or where in the sense that if you were to build a world, would it be different existing parts of culture that you would kind of mix together to create a kind of pseudo reality? I think that was sort of the point in the same way that Cabin in the Woods called together all the different horror movies of which horror movie fans would get references. Oh, that's like, even if it's not exactly like that, that's basically Pinhead from Hellraiser or whatever to embody a world that we understand, even if it's not absolutely specific. I think this one was like this in a way, but it's a movie, it's a, it's a world that I'm less familiar with, which brings me to my ultimate concern with this movie. The Sneak and Kelly Ray were having a legitimate, albeit highly intoxicated discussion about Beyonce. Because Beyonce was just in LA and they were talking about, two white women, talking about whether or not they had a place at a Beyonce concert. Kelly Ray said something to the effect of, is that experience not for me? Would I be taking up space at a concert that's meant for black people? And I was like, well, black people go to Taylor Swift. And I was attacked and said, that's not the same thing at all. So all that to say was They Clone Tyrone, a movie that wasn't intended for us. Was this someone who grew up with Friday and exploitation films and all of these references that understands this movie more than I do? Well, let's define some terms first. Us, meaning there's black people and then not black people. That seems to be the dividing line. Sure, yes. I mean, because okay. we're definitely not white. But we're not black. Right. It's impossible to know if this experience is authentic because I haven't lived it. I can't live it. We grew up in the hood. I think that's fair to say. I mean, we were repping 213. But I would say that you can't understand this experience unless you live it. The only reference I have for that is pop culture and movies. So I don't have a place there. Do I have a place watching this? It's a part of our collective social consciousness. Celia Sabe, and she said that it was an elevated, enlightened, amazing, inspiring experience. And she said that Taylor Swift was um, a little bit more, you know, accessible and poppy. But that description to me has nothing to do with the fact that Bay is black and Tay-Tay is white. Right. But but Celia is black, right? <laughs> Celia's not white. See, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> Where's the dividing line? Where's the them and the us? And I think you have to kind of define that to be able to talk, you know, intelligently about who something is made for. So black exploitation, as it was coined by a news guy, I guess, refers specifically to movies featuring all black casts intended for black audiences. The exploitation part of that portmanteau comes from the idea that it perpetuates the stereotypes that they think would appeal to these audiences where the pimps and the criminals are the good guys. I mean, because these films resonated with audiences and they found a lot of crossover appeal, it wasn't necessarily bad. It was just part of the culture. The idea that people like Fontaine or Slick Charles would be heroes or yo-yo. And so it's not a bad thing, but I think in this movie, it was meant to be a bad thing. They were perpetuating these stereotypes, right, to keep them under control. Mm -hmm. That this was their quote unquote place and right. the mind control tactics were meant to keep them in their place. 
Sure. And of course, they're going to do their thing and they're going to win in a way that the scientists wouldn't have anticipated. Utilizing his death so that they can clone him and everything was contingent on the scientists assuming that he was actually dead and not seeing through that. And he's in a body bag when he can suddenly wake up. It was very confusing. And I was like, "Uh oh, I'm starting to lose it. And then it came around. So again, very purposeful storytelling. But I think it was a metaphor for the growing up in the hood and the hopelessness of living and growing up poor without the possibility of escape. And it feels like everything is geared toward you need to remain in this sort of lifestyle if you're going to make it. The idea was to fully assimilate, but not just socioculturally, but to actually become white. And so their experiment with creating this kind of microcosm known as the Glen was so that they could test and experiment these clones to pull out the genetic parts of them that make them black so that they can be removed. Man, see, you were tracking the White Devil's plan, and I was just trying to get Slick Charles and Fontaine and Yo-Yo out of there safely. <laughs> well, it kind of all is coming together now that we're talking about it. How or why Kiefer Sutherland is the ringleader for this master plan, I'm not really sure. By the way, Brian was convinced that Kiefer, that, that was Lee Schreiber. <laughs> <laughs> see? See, but no one knows who Liv Schreiber is. And I think the only reason that they kept calling him Kevin Bacon is because Kevin Bacon was unavailable. And if Kevin Bacon <laughs> were in the movie, they would have called him Kiefer Sutherland because those two <laughs> dudes are the whitest possible dudes. Is that why? Yeah. Bacon is the other white meat. That's the whitest dude ever. And his name is Kiefer, for God's sake. I, I don't know. <laughs> Why he was there. I think he made an excellent white ambassador who was like all yelling at them and trying to keep them in their place. But all I knew was that Kiefer Sutherland was definitely going to get shot. But the movie is really about what they achieved at the end when they all go rogue. And what is that exactly? Well, I think in the truest black exploitation sense, this movie was about black people and black themes and the stuff that they go through and then show that this is all under white control and that it's all being orchestrated to keep... Uh, people down until to keep them being the subjects of this control, mind control experiment for their own nefarious purposes that has nothing to do with their lives, with their culture, and that ultimately they will band together and show that that's not going to be the way this is going to go down because they don't have a firm grasp. The white people in this movie don't have a firm grasp or handle on everything that everybody is capable of and that they can foil their plan and shoot them in the head and, and use a, a Three Amigos style defense against them to outsmart them. Hmm. Kelly Ray, who was concerned about this movie from the beginning, by the end, was like, why aren't they shooting all the white people when they infiltrated the lab? Should they be? Should it have just been a mass murder? She assumed when, she, when they got in there and they were in the inner sanctum or whatever, and it was time to take back control, Kelly Ray was for all for shooting all the whites. <laughs> okay. Well, the thing is, maybe that's where they are rising above, right? Because basically the experiment was keep the hood fighting against itself or each other. Like Slick Charles says in the in one of the initial scenes, he's like, why is it got to be like black on black aggression? But that's kind of the that's what's going on. And that's where they rise above that they don't go in and just commit mass murder in the white scientific catacombs. So last question. I know there were so many movie references in this, and it's kind of weird and unfair to pull, to point out one, but you mentioned Kevin Bacon. What was the whole reference to Hollow Man? 
Exactly, because I understood the reference to Hollow Man. I know what Hollow what the Hollow Man movie is. That's saying the the direct reference twice to, to Sophie's Choice and twice to Hollow Man didn't really have any bearing. It just spoke to me of this movie being aware of other movies, some with sort of sci-fi twists that were really about people and the horrible slash amazing things that people are capable of, but it didn't really have any bearing. I've seen Hollow Man a number of times. I understood the reference. I didn't exactly get what they were referring to or why they said it. But then again, I reference movies every day and people have no idea what I'm talking about. It's really okay. And Hollow Man's basic premise is Kevin Bacon is white? No, Kevin, he's invisible. You haven't seen Hollow Man? (laughs) Haven't seen Sophie's Choice either. Oh, man. Sophie has to make a difficult choice. Yeah, no, I get that. I mean, that's so, I mean, Sophie's Choice is regularly referred to. Not so much Hollow Man. That's like Paddington 2 obscure. Right, but that's also referencing two white-ass movies. Very true. And A Clockwork Orange. Could anything be whiter than A Clockwork Orange? Or Nancy Drew? Were they pulling a thing over on us? I think they were trying to pull a thing to give us a black movie experience, which this undoubtedly was, that had unconventionally black themes, except in the Jordan Peele area. I'm going to stop talking. (laughs) Oh, I have so many questions in places I want to go, like um, the use of lottery, the lottery in this, and if the lottery and gambling is an oppression tactic by the man and the timelessness and the references and the use of fast food and all of these things, I guess, just are just amount to the fact that there's a lot going on in this movie. And a if lot. you and if you're willing, you could really take the time and unpack it and probably understand a little bit more what it might be like to I was going to say to like what a black experience like the Glen would be like, although I don't know that it's authentic, man. It's kind of a minefield. It's a tough one. Maybe this movie wasn't meant for us and we're taking up space as an audience. I will say that in your Google searches and trying to identify all these references, you should maybe be selective because I guarantee you someone out there is Googling about if white people really cut their dicks with razor blades. Like you got, you you just don't know. It was a throwaway reference. And I was like, two hours later, I was like, what? What was that about? And I'm afraid to look it up. Uh, yeah, I, I, I second that. Probably not a good idea. I kind of chalk that up to being a uh, very unique, uh, very niche, niche <laughs> fetish thing that prostitutes might come across or experience, unfortunately. <laughs> anyway, I'll stop talking. I think it's probably better that I do. And we're at time on this episode for They Cloned Tyrone. And your scientific measurement of uh, They Cloned Tyrone? Look... It was so strange the way that it happened. And I lost my, I stumbled a few times, but it brought me back around so that I had a lot of fun watching They Cloned Tyrone. Uh, Kelly Ray, maybe less so, but it certainly felt real and felt gritty so that when wild stuff starts to happen, I can't be like, oh, this is a farce. This is like Mars Attacks. It felt like it could be conceivably real. And thus it bears some, it has some weight to it. It felt real and it felt like they were real stakes as ridiculous as the premise was. I felt the feels and I put up with Jamie Foxx, who ironically didn't belong in a movie that he headlines 
and is definitely built around his appeal. I love that I went into this movie knowing nothing about it but the title, which it wasn't misleading, but which was my only indication that there was something more than we saw on the surface. Get it? Get it? Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot going on underground. And they clone Tyrone. You just got to find the elevator. Definitely an all right movie. I'm starting to overthink they clone Tyrone now. It's definitely a good, but it seems disingenuous to be like, it's important. And it made me think. Or it feels condescending somehow to say that it's deep or layered or... Layered, deep. So I'll just say that I give they clone Tyrone a good. And that's our discussion on They Cloned Tyrone, a movie from 2023. Like this movie references a ton of movies. We referenced a ton of movies in this episode and we've covered a ton of movies on Or Whatever Movies, all of which you can listen to at orwhatevermovies.com or wherever you get podcasts. This is a um, this is a, a minority podcast. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, hosted by two not white people 818-835-0473 or whatever movies at gmail.com we love five-star reviews we love hearing from you at or whatever movies on instagram thank you for listening and we'll see you next time hi i'm mark and i'm peter we're the founders of electrocast media bringing you great podcasts like nightmare road stories tech talk revolution and bodacious minds electrocast networks include ruby for female empowerment the best business network and gpn for geopolitics we built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices and we really appreciate your support so keep listening to electrocast podcasts and hear the culture electrocast are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations do you want to learn how to do it if yes then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us, from renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid.